0: Report, yo what is up beautiful people another week so of course another episode of the quarterly report podcast episode 158 dog we keep on chugging along hopefully you guys have had an amazing week slash weekend lord knows i have hopefully man good vibes all around you and your family want to welcome you all in. Of course, I am your host, Armand Lee. Really fun show uh, lined up in store for you this week. But before I get to that, man, I just want to thank y'all so much, man. The show's momentum continues to grow. Y'all checking me out on IG. The whole nine, man, uh, really, really happy with the response that you guys have gone. You know, there have been a little bit of changes with the show's format. Maybe you guys have picked up on that a bit. There's just so much stuff to talk about recently, And I kind of went away with the interview segments because I didn't want it to feel like it was just filler. And there were some interviews that were really, really dope, really informative because there was like a lot of news. Shout out to like Mike Wise, Ben Standick. And when you had those really good interviews, I didn't want to just give you interviews just because. And you guys have responded to that, man. And I appreciate you guys so much. So before we get into the show, I want to thank you guys, man. It's been a really, really fun summer months despite all the tumultuous and you know, the, the the craziness that's going on in the world, the fact that y'all continue to carve time out to listen to me talk and rant and rave, man, I really do appreciate it. So shout out to y'all, man, number one, first and foremost. And number two, dog, I got a great show for y'all, man. Oscar motherfucking De La Hoya is coming back to the square circle. I told y'all a few weeks ago that I hate it. The Iron Mike Tyson-Roy Jones Jr. fight. And this was one of the reasons. Because motherfuckers just do not know when to say no. They don't know when to just turn off the faucet on a good thing. And here you are. Oscar motherfucking De La Hoya. We're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Plus. Slim. Playoff P. Really? Really? <laughs> That's what we're doing. All of that is so much more. But first. Our number one topic this week, first quarter. We live in a society where everyone wants to rush to kind of anoint the new thing. Even if it's not even really new. Everyone wants to be the first to have the newest idea or to see things from a different perspective first. And often, I shouldn't say often, a lot of times that's cool, right? Again, innovation is something that I am a huge fan of. And and a lot of times to innovate is not like you're recreating the wheel. It's just looking at something from a different angle, a different slant. And that's dope, right? You can enjoy so much. It's like a child, right? Rediscovering a new toy. If you're a parent, you know this. Hell, all of us know this because we were all once children, right? you don't play with a toy or whatever, whatever. And then maybe your cousin comes over, your next door neighbor, your best friend comes over and they see the toy, but they're using it in a different, completely different way. And then it's like, Eureka. You see it like, Err. I'm trying to do that. I know a lot of us, a lot of us, you know, we've we've done this during quarantine. I know I have, you know, just maniacally, right? Just running around cleaning, right? You just like, a nut job, cleaning the house, cleaning your place, whatever, whatever, re redecorating, just moving things around, and maybe you've, you've just rediscovered a, a, a an old book that you haven't seen in a while, and then when you first read the book, it was like, oh, this is decent, and then you reread it, and he's like, yeah, this is, it just hits different, right, maybe you've experienced something that now when you read that book, man, it just kind of triggers, and maybe not triggers, the wrong term, because, you know. But you know, it, it 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 unplugs and unlocks something different in your mind. And there are all these different variations and examples that we all can come of, right? Where you see something or you look at something differently, and it just kind of unlocks everything. And that 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 feeling of kind of like, yo, I discovered this, and look at what this can do, also. It's a dope feeling, right? It's something that we all kind of enjoy so the temptation is there to do that with everything, right? You try to find a new recipe. You love the way you make macaroni and cheese. You love it. But then someone tells you, yo, there's this recipe. And despite the fact that you love the way you make it, you wanna try some new shit, right? You wanna mess up a good thing for the opportunity or the the chance that you've catch lightning in the bottle. It's, when you think about it, it's very annoying. Yet, we all do it. But when you see it happen in real time, it's beyond annoying. In fact, you gotta laugh to stop from trying to go crazy. And this past week, dog, I don't know what Steph Curry has done to y'all. I don't know what Steph Curry has done to the fans of the NBA besides give you joy, right? We all didn't think that the Golden State Warriors, when KD came, that was super lame. We all agreed. That's not Steph Curry's fault. In fact, Steph held that joint down perfectly, right? If you want to take issue with KD, I think KD is one of the greatest basketball players of all time. I hope he rehabs and comes back as better than ever, right? But there's some things off the court. That KD does. It's like, eh, come on, brother. Like, that ain't it. You feel me? And him doing that, going, not just leaving Oklahoma City, but going to Golden State. Y'all remember how fun watching Warriors-Oklahoma City-Thunder games were? Even if it wasn't even the playoffs, just the regular season games between those two teams. Because you had the two best offensive players in the league. And they were both young and they're fun and they're dynamic. And then he was like, nah, fuck that. I'm going, I'm going over there, too. People must have blamed Steph for that. People, people shit on Steph Curry. Steph Curry, hear me when I say this. I want to make sure... <clears throat> make sure me, 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 me. I'm going to make sure y'all hear me perfectly clear. And I'm ready to take y'all the backlash. I don't care. Steph Curry's a top 10 player of all time. Steph Curry is a top 10 player all time. Today, whenever y'all hear this, what is the, today's, what is the, the, this debut? Is what, August 25th, I believe? Whenever you listen to this podcast, hell, it could be three years later. You could just, you could finally just discover my podcast, right? It took y'all motherfuckers long enough. But whatever, whenever you hear my voice for this episode 158 of the Quarterly Report Podcast, understand Steph Curry's a top 10 player of all time. You may not like it. There aren't five players who have changed the game the way Steph Curry has. Everybody wants to do, we're not that far removed from jump shooting teams can't win championships. Remember that? Remember that? All of y'all favorite NBA players. Whenever an NBA player says he likes your this rookie on your team, and you guys love to flaunt that, like that's a stat, those same motherfuckers were saying that dumb shit like four or five years ago. Jump shooting teams can't win championships. Steph Curry changed the entire trajectory on how the game is played. LeBron ain't do that. Kobe ain't do that. You understand? Like, that's Steph. And for whatever reason, we've reduced Steph Curry to just a shooter. Outside of Kyrie, whose handles are nicer than that? You understand? You talk about a deep shooter, but, you know, everybody's caught a Chris Middleton was a 50-40-90 shooter. Steph Curry was doing, like, come on, brother. And I don't know why so many people hate Steph Curry so much. Because at this point, it's clear. Like last week I talked about LeBron and I'm a fan of LeBron. LeBron's one of my favorite players. He's probably my favorite basketball player of all time. LeBron does annoying shit all the time. All the time. I mean, you know, very much, uh, I don't want to say narcissistic, but he has kind of, I'm the center of the universe kind of approach. And again, I don't fault him. Babbage was sucking him off since he was in sophomore in high school. Like, how could you not? And when you look at kind of the the responsibility that LeBron carries, you know, he is as as good of a person who has been put in his circumstance, you could not do better than what LeBron has done, right? So I'm not shitting on LeBron. But there are things that, like, you know, come on, let's be funky. Like, he does things that are super annoying. What's the most annoying thing that Steph has done? Not anybody in his family, not his teammates, not his coach or his owner. What has Steph Curry done that is so annoying? He plays golf. Now he got cornrows with no hang time. He, Dog, he just a family man having fun. Dog, shout out to fucking Steph Curry. But y'all got to stop with the slander. Damian Lillard is a beast. Damian Lillard is a phenomenal basketball player. Damian Lillard, this two-week stretch of basketball, has played better than almost anybody in the world. In fact, the only person that you can compare this two-week stretch of basketball in terms of who's playing the best is either him or Luka. Those are the only two players who are playing at that caliber during this kind of bubble run. Damian Lillard is phenomenal. He's a phenomenal basketball player. In fact, I'll go on to say this. Damian Lillard will be go, will go down and be remembered as one of the best players of his era. He's great. There is a difference between going down as one of the best players of your era and then going down as one of the best players of all time. Carmelo Anthony is one of the best players of his era. Okay? Dominique Wilkins in his era, Tracy McGrady, so forth and so on. You, you understand what I'm saying? Magic Johnson, and Larry Bird, and Shaquille O'Neal, and Ola- Kim Olajuwon, and Tim Duncan, are go- they'll go down as some of the greatest players of all time. Amari Steinemeyer was one of the best players of his era. There's nothing wrong with Amari Stoudemire. He finished like top three in MVP voting once, first team on NBA. He was a hell of a player before he was hurt. And you know what? Let me think. Let me come up with a better analogy, right? Because I don't want it to go down like I'm comparing Dame to a bunch of guys who was hurt, like who got hurt. Dame is a great player. He's a great player. Carmelo in his era will be go down as a great player. Damian Lillard, thus far, and he's still young, he's not one of the greatest players of all time. And when we compare Dame to Steph, it's like, bruh, what does Steph do to y'all, man? Damian Lillard is playing phenomenal. He's playing so well. But so, the recency bias is insane. And I'm just like, I'm, I'm looking around, and I'm like, y'all Bama's can't be serious. They got people saying, yo, Kenny Smith went on national television during the postseason and said that Damian Lillard is a better shooter, is a deeper shooter than Steph Curry? How? How? <laughs> like, Logo Lillard is a thing. Steph was pulling up from. Steph beat the Thunder. We talk about the Thunder. Remember when Steph shot out damn near half-court shot to beat the Bamas? Dog, I remember watching the Warriors before the Warriors like were, became the Warriors. But they was on the verge. Steph came to Mart- Madison Square Garden. You never thought about covering somebody at the half-court line. And we had to do that because he was busting it in our eye the whole the whole fucking game. We had, to, we had to strap him from the half court. That was like six years ago, brother. Not now. How soon we forget. Steph Curry took a year off. He was hurt for one year. And we act like his whole run was just KD. Newsflash. Steph Curry won a championship before Kevin Durant came to Golden State. Matter of fact, after he won a championship, the following year he beat Kevin Durant in the playoffs, on the way to a seventy-three win regular season, and a loss at one of the greatest performances, game seven performances by, you know, one of the greatest shots of all time, one of the greatest finals of LeBron, like of an individual player of all time. I mean, like. It took that to beat Steph Curry, you understand? And here we are ready to compare Dame Lillard, again, a a phenomenal basketball player, but a player who like never beat Steph, whether Kevin Durant is playing or not, he doesn't ever beat him. And we ready to say that they're equal? I've seen the way y'all write on Twitter. I've heard the, the analysis on the television shows. I've seen it, and we are a culture that is so caught up into recency bias. What have you done for me lately? We, again, look at how Steph Curry has changed the game. And now that Damian Lillard is doing something that was similar to what Steph has already blazed the trail for, now we're saying they're equal? What are we talking about? Damian Lillard is a great player. He's not on Steph Curry's level. It's so funny, man. Like two weeks ago, I'm talking to my cousin. Shout out to Sadiq. Cousin D, you know, a regular on the show. And, you know, I'm jokingly hitting him up. I'm like, man, Dame Lillard's like fastly becoming one of my favorite players. This is all after him, Patrick Beverly, and Paul George go back and forth. And I just love the way, again, I'm a fan of Dame. I don't want y'all to hear this and think that I'm, I'm you know, knocking a disrespecting Dame in any way because I'm not. I'm a huge fan of... Of Lillards. So, you know, I love the way he handled Paul George and Patrick Beverly. He was like, dog, I I bumped both them dudes out. They know about me. You know, I love that. Hit my cousin up and like, here I'm I'm rocking with Dame, easily becoming one of my favorite players in the league right now. And my cousin was like, Dog, people size Dame so much. And I was like, huh? Because you know, I had never heard anyone. And it wasn't that my cousin was talking shit. He was just being critical, right? And there's a difference. You can critique someone without being negative. You can critique someone while still being a fan. And my cousin was saying like, yo, people looking a damn crazy. Like he good, but he not what people build him up to be. And you know, I had to, I had to hear him out a little bit further and he started making a whole hell of a lot of sense. And his ultimate point was, I like Dame, just like me, right? He was saying, dog, I like Dame, but Dame isn't an all-time great. He's really good. But when it comes down to it, there are a lot of times he'll pass the ball and he ain't really fighting to get that ball back. We remember the, the obvious amazing clutch moments. And I'm one, like, you can't forget those. You have to put those up, right? You have to hold those moments high because... They don't happen that much. Damian Lillard has two series walk-off clinching shots. Outside of Kawhi, when was the last time you had that? You gotta go all the way back to the in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? It's 2020. For a playoff series winning. Walk off. I make the shot. You go home. You know? He's got two of them. You feel me like that's nuts. So you got to give credit where credit is due. But my cousin was like, yo, he's good. But he's been swept out the playoffs so many times consecutively. I like, he ain't. And this is before the stuff comparisons came out. He's like, dog, we just need to chill out on how we talk about Dame. He's really, really good. But he's not legendary. He's not like an icon. And I agree with, like, there's no, I I don't even know how one would disagree with my cousin, but a lot of people do because they get caught up in the hype. But when I started to see the comparisons to Steph, to me, at least, it felt like, okay, you know, we're trying to find that next guy. It's like, you know what, we're kind of, we're annoyed. For whatever reason, we're annoyed with Steph, so we're going to push Dame now. I think it's more... I don't know if anti is the right way, but it's more sick of stuff than it is, I'm gassing Dame. But I could be wrong. My cousin could be right. So I'm watching this, and this talk go back and forth, and I'm like, man, this is nuts. And again, may, and then, and this is the moment where I'm like, man, maybe my cousin is right. Maybe is just a and Dame. And then <laughs> I'm watching the Houston Rockets beat the Oklahoma City Thunder on Thursday night. And the NBA, this wasn't Bleacher Report. This wasn't Slam Magazine. This wasn't The Ringer. This was The League. They put a full-string graphic out, right, to to kind of, to to commemorate James Harden's accolades. He, he cracked the top 10 in all-time NBA three-point shoot postseason three-pointers made, right? They started the list at number two. I think James Harden was like number 10 or maybe he was number nine, something like that. He had just cracked the list. But they went two through 11 on the actual graphic. I had a double tank because, like, why would you start at number two? Why would number two be the top of the list? So I didn't even pay attention to the numbers at first. I just see Ray Allen. And I'm looking around. I see Klay Thompson. I see LeBron on there and whatever. Reggie, obviously. And I'm like, no, Steph's not on the top 10? That's crazy. I see Clay at, like, number three. How is Steph not there? And then I look, I'm like, these motherfuckers started at number two. How? How? <laughs> I don't even get it. And, like, this hits this near and dear to my heart because as a television producer, you know, you build a lot of graphics. There is no conceivable way that I would put a graphic on television or on any platform that eyes, millions of eyes will see. And I don't have the number one person on the list. You just wouldn't do it. And it's, it'd be different if like, you know, Steph Curry has disgraced the NBA or he did something in- incredibly, you know, uh, vile and you are trying to scrub him from the, the history books, right? Like, it ain't like Steph is OJ. <laughs> in fact, he couldn't be complete. Like, He couldn't be more different. Steph Curry is one of the most popular athletes in the world, specifically in this country, definitely of the NBA, who's still playing. What would be the point? Why would anyone be incentivized to not put Steph Curry on top of a list where he clearly is number one? Who starts a list at number two? You could probably go on if you if you're not familiar with what I'm talking about, go on to Twitter or wherever you you know whatever social media platform you enjoy the most, and like do a search for James Harden three point list, and you'll see James Harden is on this graphic, and the list starts at number two. There is zero mention of Steph Curry on this list. They go two to eleven. They did all of that so they could show Derek. i uh, was going to say Derek Harper. Um, What's my man's name from the Lakers? Oh man, I'm getting old. Point guard for the Lakers, right? It was always running with Kobe. God bless the dead. That they did all of that so you can show him and not Steph Curry. W'e serious. I've never seen an all-time great be disrespected like this. And those two instances happened literally days apart. We comparing Steph Curry to Damian Lillard. And that's not a knock on Dame. Dame is a phenomenal basketball player. But, like, don't compare. I don't even want to do that. You know what I'm saying? I was going to throw some names. I don't want to do that. But, like, come on, bro. Like, Come on, baby. You know, (laughs) I'm trying to be respectful, you know? I'm really trying to be respectful, but don't compare James Harden to Michael Jordan. James Harden is a – and James Harden, you know, (laughs) he's more accomplished than Damian Lillard. James Harden's a former MVP, multiple-time first-team All-NBA. You know what I'm saying? Like, there's, mm, don't compare Baron Davis, you know, to Allen Iverson. No disrespect. No disrespect at all. Great player of his era compared to one of the game's best. You know what I mean? Don't compare Rasheed Wallace to Charles Barkley. Like, dog. You know, you know what I'm saying? Like, come on. And then don't make a list and completely ignore the person who's number one on said list. I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And again, part of my job is to make graphics, to build those specific graphics. I've never seen anything like that. (laughs) It's, It's beyond disrespectful. Shout out to shout out to Damian Lillard, for sure, one hundred percent. And congratulations to James Harden for tallying up another record. But like, can we please? And when I say please, I mean please. Take a step back. Let's not be in such a you know such a rush to find the to to rediscover the new angle, right? To to figure out the new recipe. Like Damian Lillard is a great player James Harden is a phenomenal basketball player for sure but this is not reinventing the wheel Steph Curry is an all time great acknowledge that man as such because <laughs> without it I'm looking around at everybody like man what the fuck are y'all on I want to hear your thoughts you know, because, again, I don't believe in coincidence. I don't. So, I don't think that these two moments, these two instances were just mistakes, mishaps. I don't believe they built, you know what I mean? And I don't think that there's this some sinister plot to, to erase Steph Curry from our memories. But I, I don't know what that was. I don't know what diamonds went on this past week. So, I'm all ears. If you have an idea... I want to hear from you. Email me at QuarterlyReport at gmail.com or tweet at the show at Quarterly Show. Remember, we spell quarterly here, Q-U-A-R-T-E-R-L-E-E, all right? Speaking of disrespect, we are going to step away from the sports arena and talk about music. One of my favorite rappers and someone who, for whatever reason, and I think I know why, continues to step on his rollout year after year after year. Frenemies, the music edition. Our second topic this week. Second quarter. I dumbed down for my audience and double my dollars. They criticize me for it, yet they yell, holler. If skills sold, truth be told, I'd probably be, lyrically, Talib Quali. Truthfully, I want to rhyme like common sense, But I did five mil. I ain't been rhyming like common sense. Most of y'all already know where that song comes from. It obviously is from Jay-Z. Moment of Clarity from the Black Album. I was going to play the song, but that shit was like completely disabled from YouTube. But then I realized like, yo, Hove and his minions of agents man I, I don't want my little podcast to get discovered and then jay-z sue my black ass right so i was like all right man i'm just gonna get y'all the acapella but i start there i start there because i remember when that album when that song came out and so many people heard that but those bars it was like yeah hove is so great hove is so great and quick aside i want to get this out the way because i know jay has stands on stands on stands jay-z is a phenomenal artist he is one of the most powerful artists in american music history like he's that talented he is that you know influential however you want to describe it jay-z is all of those things but that that song that those bars always bothered me and if I could psychoanalyze a bit. I always thought that, and look, this this, this quarter is about Jay-Z and it's about Nas, okay? And we'll get to it. We're gonna take the scenic route. So just buckle in and just ride with me. Try to follow me throughout this kind of process as I try to kind of illustrate kind of my viewpoint on the matter, okay? Clearly, Hove has an issue with nas and most people think it thinks it stems from ether right or whatever all the back and forth the exchanges and look ether is one of the greatest diss songs of all time i'm not one to tell you if you think that takeover is better than ether i'm not mad at that because takeover is a hell of a song so is ether they're both different Jay really only gave nas a verse and a quarter really right and nas the first two verses of Ether is kind of like eh, and then he went taking taking combo mode on that third verse. Just didn't lay it up on Jay's ass, and and Nas hit all the buttons. Clearly, Hov has some deep rooted issues with Nas, and we'll get to that in a moment. But that those lines, those bars from Moment of Clarity that I started this quarter with, to me, they underscore something even deeper than just one song. In my mind, in my mind, I've always felt that Nas is the artist that Jay-Z wanted to be. Nas is the artist, the musician that Jay-Z wanted to be. Hear me when I say that. Jay-Z is far more successful than Nas. Jay-Z has more money than Nas. He has more claim than Nas, he sold more records than Nas. He as a pop icon looms far larger than Nas ever will. But if you listen to a Jay-Z album, particularly in his heyday, and you listen to a Nas album, it's such a a weird dynamic in a yin versus yang, right? Jay-Z has all of the success all of the acclaim, all of the money, right, that Nas wanted. And when Nas was chasing all of that is when there was the watered down, the worst version of Nasir Jones was when he was chasing what Jay had. Jay, all the while, wanted to have the ability or kind of the free reign, if you will, to talk about the topics that Nas does. Nas has an entire career, this kind of, Black empowerment, uh, black enlightenment, black economic, you know, independence. Jay Z that we've had for the last, you know, seven years or so. Nas has built an entire career off of this, right? And when you and when you hear Jay in his 40s as a parent or 50s now, I don't know how old Jay Z is, but when you hear him in his older years. Doing this, the same stuff that Nas was doing in 94, 95, you feel me? You start to look at things crazy. It's it's a weird juxtaposition between the two artists. And then I always go back to that, those bars for moment of clarity. Truthfully, I would much rather rhyme like Talib Kweli, and I'm paraphrasing now. I want to rhyme like Common Sense, but I sold 5 mil. I haven't been rhyming like Common Sense. Like when, when you think about the gift and the curse, Jay Z did not feel, in my opinion. This is just me, Jay Z fans. Chill the fuck out. I don't want to hear from you right now. <laughs> you know, y'all can email me and all this other stuff right now. I don't want to hear about Jay Z fans right now. Stop it. But when you see that Jay Z, and we all are blessed with hindsight, right? But that kind of that speaks to the, like when I think of artists. And if you've ever met an artist, whether it's a visual artist or a musician, um, a poet, whatever the case may be, they're very sensitive with their work. When they really go all in, full in, deep dive into their music, whether the, whether their arts or whatever, right? There's a vulnerability. If you've ever known one, especially intimately, intimately, you know that is a is scary. To put your your work, your vision, your heart and soul, all of your energy out for the world to, to consume and to critique, that is a scary leap of faith for any of us, let alone someone who completely, you know, artists, they, they just wired differently, you feel me? Some of the most intuitive and sensitive people, and I say sensitive not in the condescending sense, but like the literal sense people who are really who feel really strongly oftentimes are the best artists or people who are who who make a living or put their art out there for consumption. So if you are doing the calculus, like I would rather do this, but I know everybody wants to buy this. So I'm not going to do it. His own words. I dumbed down my music. Ain't that the definition of selling out? Like I want to do, and there's no doubt, there's no denying Jay's skill. If Jay-Z wanted to I mean, you're seeing it now. We all love 444. This is a man who had lived a life that we all find, you talk about the American dream, from nothing to something, a billionaire, right? He has a powerful family. All of the the quote-unquote things that you would check off the boxes for success in America, he achieved it. And he was vulnerable in one of his best albums on 444. He had to achieve that much success to have that much of a vulnerable album. Think about that. In his prime, he made the conscious decision, I wanna do that. But that's not going to sell. So I'm going to do this. Dog, that's the definition of selling out. And here's the thing. This is the sad part about it. Hove is so talented. Hove knew kind of how to push pop culture forward. Had he started rhyming with any level of consciousness, it still would have been successful. That's how talented he is. That's how talented he is. But he made a calculated decision. Dog, it was a uh, maybe like two years ago. I forget the I forget the article. I forget. The, I do a really bad job with this. But I wish because I really wish I could show it to you. But they were talking about how in the mid to late nineties, the music executives, like the music business, there was a clear shift, right? Depending on how old you are, your introduction into rap into hip hop was not to glorify violence and drugs. There was a a significant kind of backbone to hip hop that was about being consciousness, right? Whether it was, you know, KRS, whether it was Public Enemy, Ice Cube had a bit of that. You can go down the line, there were artists who were at the very forefront of like, yo, like black empowerment, but it was in you know in the late '80s, early '90s, right? And then apparently, and it was an article. And again, I I'm so sorry that I don't remember, so I could give credit and I can kind of highlight it for you. If I do remember it, I will tweet it out because I am going to actually try to search for it. But there was going, there was an article where they were said there was a significant shift where these music executives, for whatever reason, started telling that their you know their higher ups, the ARs and everything like that. We're going to start pushing this other type of hip hop, more aggressive, more violence, more, you know, misogynistic, more that type. And people will push back like, yo, why are we doing this? Why are we like this? This conscious music is successful. People want to hear the public enemies. They want to hear the KRSs. This this type of stuff is doing well. And they were forced to start pushing this stuff with a negative connotation to, to kind of, and I don't want to get too deep, but to seep into young, specifically young black people, young black men's and women's minds, but young people as a whole listen to hip hop, to seep into their minds and to kind of uh, grow these negative stereotypes. And then looking back, we have the the benefit of hindsight, right? You look back into the mid-90s and you can see, like you see the shift in like how everybody started doing this type of music. And, you know, there were a few groups here and there who didn't, groups obviously come to mind. They were definitely, and then, you know, in the late nineties, there was this kind of lyricist lounge, black empowerment movement as well. But for a good 10 years, the majority of the popular music that were coming out looked all, looked the same. They had similar content and it was this, that, and a third. And Hove, whether he was a product of that or not, because he's so skilled and because he's so talented, he reigns over that era of rap as the king. He was the king of that era that Willie, I got money, you know what I'm saying? Money over everything, fuck bitches, all the blah, 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 whatever, whatever. He kind of reigned supreme over that era of hip hop music. And when I put all of this together, right? Because Nas tried that. And he wasn't successful. He steered, he veered away from what was him. He tried to do that kind of big, Woody, that type of, you know, whatever, whatever stuff. It just, it didn't come, it didn't it didn't resonate. So he got back to what he is. And then you see what Nas talks about, dog. He made his, one of his lead singles back in like the early 2000s was a song to talk about black and brown children. And I am, <laughs> right? To be proud. Of your history. That was his single. Jay-Z had cash. Well, money cash hoes. And again, I'm not trying to do. It's easy. It's like the LeBron Jordan thing. It's easy to kind of fall into the comparing the two. But this is deeper than me. I think that Jay-Z deep down looks at Nas and is envious because the he wanted to make a catalog of music the To to mirror I don't think he says Man I want to make a Godson album or I want to do What Nas does I think he looks at Nas and like yo for for Whatever reason for better or for worse The trajectory that Nas Has went upon As an artist Nas is making Kind of the music that kind of That hugs on to Your bones right It's not always going to it's not going to play You're not going to play a Nas song at a party it's not gonna ever happen. You graduate, you're not gonna, you know, family reunions. It's not gonna happen. Hov got like twenty of them, and obviously Hov is talented. Like this is not a knock on him as a as an MC, as a rapper, as a musician, or maybe as a musician. But I think Jay Z looks at his his catalog, and he's got a lot of McDonald's, he's got a lot of Wendy's, he's got a lot of Pizza Huts in his catalog. All of those things sell. But he looks at Nas, and Nas got those those food trucks, right? And y'all know what time it is. If you're from a big city, you know exactly what it is. Food truck, those are the hidden gems, man. It's somebody who makes their stuff. They got their they family recipes. And some days you'll see them out. And when you do, when you smell it, you chase after it, man. And it's not going to sell them much. In fact, the fact that so many people don't know about it makes you love it even more. You take your youngin out, man. You know what? Let's you having a fun day out in the town. Hey, man. You know that's I don't really want to go to a restaurant. Let me, let me, let me put you on in this one little spot, or or the barbecue joint that's just like some old shack in the middle of an off road, right? And you like, yo, what is this? But once you see a barbecue spot that looks like a beat down old shed from your grandfather, you know the food hidden. That's type of stuff that hugs to your soul, to your bones. That's the music that Nas puts out but I think Jay is envious because he made the calculated decision. I'm not making that music because I want to get money. So why am I bringing all this up? Why am I bringing out moment of clarity? You know, why am I bringing up Jay-Z? Why am I bringing up the music industry's pivot to, 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 to reinforce negative stereotypes about black men? Why, why am I bringing all of this up in 2020? Well, for like the the fifth time in a row, Nas drops an album out. It came out this past Friday. And if you are a fan of hip-hop, if you are definitely a fan of, fan of Nas, you know where I'm going. For what feels like the fifth straight consecutive time that Nas releases new music, there's Jay-Z's ass. <laughs> what is it? Like, what, 54 weeks in a year or some shit like that? Out of all the weeks to release m- new music, Jay-Z finds a way to always release music at the same time as Nas. Without fail. I do not believe in coincidence. I've said this numerous times on this show. Y'all know what time it is. Hov dropping an album. It was it the Unplugged album when Nas dropped Stillmatic. I don't believe that was a coincidence, but they was beefing for real. So, let's say that's a chess move for Jay. It didn't work. Hove dropping Collision Course, the the joint album with Lincoln Park, the same time that Nas dropped St- uh, Streets Disciple. I don't believe that was a coincidence, but you know, it was kind of cooler tensions. Things starting to cool off a bit. Let's say you give him that too. Then you go all the way back last year. What was it? The Nas Greatest Hits album. That's when the the Lion King joint popped off. The year before that, the Carters album came out the same time that Nasir came out. Nas' album with with Kanye produced. It just happened so many times that you're like, dog, hold on. Nas has his new album. Hit Boy produces the entire album. There's excitement. And then the day before it's supposed to drop, you find out that Jay-Z has a song with Pharrell that's coming out the the next day, the same exact day that Nas' album is coming out. And you're just like, come on, bro. What is this? What is this? When you look at Jay-Z as an entity, as a brand, he's bigger than Nas. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's like... Best Buy to Micro Center. But who do you trust more? Like when I really, really, really need to know some shit about like a a, a computer that I'm about to buy or any type of technology, I understand that Best Buy is the conglomerate. I'm going to Micro Center because them nerds know what the fuck they're talking about. And I think that's kind of how Jay-Z is positioning himself. He knows he's the bigger brand. But because he looks at Nas's track record and his catalogs, like, damn, that's what I wish I could have done. I wish I could have made music, right, to talk about societal issues, to talk about cultures, our culture, and how America, Nas made a fucking song going at Fox News, dog. And <laughs> was right. Nas is making songs about William H. Cooper Ivan Van Cernama. Nas is talking about all of this stuff. This is like peak Nas. Hov is making, hey, Poppy. You understand? And I'm not knocking anybody. Hov did make the decision that he made to make money. God bless you. You're in America. We all have that right. But when, again, you go back to a moment of clarity, and that's why I started this quarter like that. I think he was, that was a therapy session for Hov. He was letting out his business. Damn, man, I really want to rap like that. But you chose not to for money. That's selling out, bro. Dog, I'm not saying I wouldn't have done it. I'm not saying you wrong for doing it. But let's call a thing a thing. And I think it is eating at him all of these years later. Because I can't understand it. I can't There's no beef between those two dudes anymore, right? They've worked together. Like, Jay. What they say, ether and and take over. Nas won the battle, hold won the war. However you want to break it, Jay's a billionaire and is married to Beyonce. You know what I'm saying? Like, no one's no one's talking about a loss in a rap battle. Like J won, but his actions—it's almost like reflex. The fact that this keeps on happening makes you look at him like, dog, what are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And why, more importantly than what, why are you doing it? Why do you keep doing this? And to me, as someone who has followed these men, basically my entire lives, like since I was a a preteen, been listening to these dudes. The fact is clear, bro, there has to be an answer. And I think when you look at the end album, when you look at God's son. When you look at it was written obviously illmatic stillmatic streets disciples. When you look at life is good, and now when you look at this one, I think Hove looks at the catalog that Nas has. Is like man, I wish I could. I wish I would have been more brave to talk about these things because these topics they still are existing. Like Hove is now making the the records that Nas was making in '99. In ninety eight, two thousand, man that child looks comes across so petty, dog. You dropping on the same day as this brother. You were, you were bigger than him, but you can't you can't fight that urge. The herbs urge just kind of like stomp the like that. It's like you you you. don't want I don't want to call Nas an ant. That's not fair. You know what I'm saying? But you know when you see a little kid. And a little kid's at a playground or something. And then there's like a squirrel or maybe, you know, some animal or deer. You may be walking through the park. And then the little kid goes out of his way to kind of mess with the deer. And he's like, man, what the fuck you doing that for? Like, where are your parents at? So they can smack your ass up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Like, that's it's not even necessary. They're not even bothering you. I think that shit is impulsive. He can't, Hove can't help it. And you see him trying to reach, he's trying so hard to kind of do this kind of, t- to make amends with, you know, some of the shortcomings he may have had with his music. And then he's doing this stuff with the NFL and it's backfiring, all this shit that we've talked about on this show tons of time, and I'm not going to go back into it. But I think all of that plays a part. I think Ho- there have been rumors, right? Where a woman who may have messed with both Hove and I's, they later would come out and say, like, dog, Hov was just kind of obsessed with Nas. I don't know if that's true. I'm not going to say the man is obsessed. I personally feel that Hov, there is a, an absence somewhere inside of him where he wishes he could have done something different. And he looks at Nas, and he's envious at the path that Nas went, even with all of the flaws and pit hole, like potholes and setbacks that Nas's career has. And God knows there's plenty of them. I think Hove looks at him like, damn, that's what—that's the career I wish I would have had. Because whatever you say about Nas, this one thing you can't say—he did not have the commercial success. You're not playing a Nas song at a party. All of that is true. But in the, ask yourself this. And the same shit applies with Drake and Kendrick, whomever. Ask yourself this: over these past five, six months. Whose songs have you doubled back to more? When the shit hits the fan, who are you going to? You know what it's like? It's like you got the old girlfriend and y'all broke up, but now y'all in good terms. And you got the new little cutie pie and she may not be your girl, but like, you know, you kick it with her heart. But when shit happens, like real stuff happens in your life, who do you turn to? You turn to the new cute thing or you turn to the person who you really have deep roots with. That's kind of what Nas' music is, Joe. You don't want to go to the party with Nas's music. But when something rocks your life, oh my God, you go back to Old Faithful, don't you? And I think that shit eats at hove because I don't understand why in 2020, Jay is still doing this shit and we all peep it. This ain't no secret. I want to hear your thoughts, I really do. Like I said, man, shout out to my partner, Mark. Man, we was talking about this earlier this week, and during our conversation, this quarter kind of manifests in my mind. Um, but yeah, man, again, I'm not putting "Moment" of, I'm not putting no Jay Z songs on these podcasts no more. I don't want to get sued, no. But if you want to go back, I'm not gonna read the, the the bars anymore. But go back and re-listen to "Moment of Clarity," and I'm sure Hope has more songs where he drops those types of nuggets. At the time, Bama's wanted to act like that shit was the most profound, amazing bar ever. I looked at it then the same way I look at it now. That shit's weak, bro. You Jay-Z, you move culture. You don't adjust to what people want to do. You change what people want to listen to. But you know, there are Jay-Z stands out there. I'm a huge Nas fan. I don't think I'm a Nas stand, but maybe you disagree. If you do, Hit me up. Email me and the show at quarterlyreport at gmail.com. Tweet at the show at quarterlyshow. And you know, man, maybe you guys listened to Naz's new album. I'm not gonna do the joint, you know. I don't like to give down, give any type of musical breakdowns 24 hours. For, I don't even like to do it a week or two weeks after music is released. I gotta let music sit with me, but Thus far, I'm very happy with the new Nas project. So if you want to talk about Nas's new album, you want to talk about Hove, you want to talk about the NBA bubble, fuck it, man. I'm all ears. Hit me up. Let me know what you guys want to discuss or if you want to disagree with any position that I may have made along the way. All right, guys, you heard the horn. So that means it is halftime. And this week, as many of you all know, uh, the NBA, they had their NBA draft lottery. And of course, someone who pays a lot of attention to the New York Knicks, the worst possible, well, I shouldn't say the worst possible, but one of the worst possible outcomes actually happened. The New York Knicks, who were, uh, who had the odds, the odds on favorite to become, to have the sixth uh, spot in the draft, they failed two spots and will now be picking eighth. And, you know, a lot of y'all, a lot of my friends, a lot of people who uh, follow me on Twitter, y'all have your little cute stuff. Like, oh man, oh, I hope you are okay. Oh man, you know, stay away from the ledge. You, you know, it's cool. As a Knicks fan, you learn to roll with the punches. You already understand that you will be the butt of every joke. There are fans of teams who have had less success than the Knicks who talk shit about the Knicks. And instead of fighting it, you just gotta accept it. Because as a Knicks fan, you know, well, you learn relatively fast that it is a painful experience, and the success or any type of you know things to be proud of typically comes with a caveat. And if you need any examples of how the success of Nick fans or how Nick fans have to adapt to even to even have just the slightest bit of happiness, look no further than the 2020 NBA playoffs. Now I'm sure you're asking yourself right now, Armand, what are you talking about? The Knicks didn't even make it to the bubble, let alone the playoffs. Exactly. Take a listen. You may be asking, wow, Armand, how do you still enjoy watching the NBA playoffs as a Knicks fan with all of their failures on display? Well, it's not easy, but after years of suffering from mind-numbing decisions, it actually has made me a better and even smarter fan. Listen, you see Danilo Gallinari playing well. Nick fans, however, see a 19-point-per-game player in the playoffs who has contributed to the Thunder tying their series with the Houston Rockets. Damn we also traded him for Carmelo Anthony. Or, when we see Denver guard Jamal Murray, we don't see an up-and-coming star. Nope, we see the former seventh overall pick in the 2016 draft that was traded to the Nuggets for, mm, yep, Carmelo Anthony. And, if you really want to impress others, we can get into our six degrees of Kevin Bacon on too. Like this, reigning finals MVP Kawhi Leonard has been one of the best players this postseason. He was famously traded to the Raptors before last season. But what was he traded for exactly? Well, DeMar DeRozan, Toronto's 2019 first round pick, and Jakob Porto, a solid young center who was drafted by the Raptors using New York's pick via the laughable Andrea Bargnani trade but it somehow gets worse. That pick was originally supposed to be Denver's, but the Nuggets had the right to a pick swap with, you guessed it, the fucking New York Knicks. And why was that, you ask? Well, of course it was, because of Carmelo fucking Anthony. You can't make this up. So. The next time you want to make a joke about how awful the Knicks are to a friend of yours, don't. Their heart is already cold and numb. And also, do that friend a solid. Don't show any Portland Trailblazer games this year. You know, there's so many people who always ask me, like, Armand, why don't you like Carmelo Anthony? Why don't you like Carmelo Anthony? And, you know, it's not that I dislike him, the man. There are things about Melo that I can't stand. And if you are a Nick fan, depending on, like, your perception of Melo before that trade drastically impacts your view of him now. Melo is build billed as the peer of Dwayne Wade and LeBron. And I think we've talked about this on the show. I definitely have vented about this, so I'm not going to spend too much time. But if you looked at him as that, then maybe you have contorted or, you know, you... you You know, you squint long enough that you could convince yourself that, you know what? Him coming here, it wasn't his fault. It wasn't that he wasn't underperforming or that he wasn't that good. It was just the surroundings in New York failed him. And to some extent, for sure, that is the case. But it's also important to remember, Carmelo Anthony could have just signed as a free agent in New York, but he didn't want to wait. So he forced the trade, depleting talented players and future picks to come to a team i can't feel sympathy for you like you chose to do that brother and now you look at Galinari, jamal murray all the cap space now, gordon hayward may have been a part of that part of that trade tree as well i'm not for certain but i, I think he he's a part of that as well it's just disgusting and you know when i see porzingis playing and I got in the back and forth with somebody on this on Twitter the other day. That one doesn't hurt that much because, you know, I love KP. KP still one of my favorite players. And we'll probably talk about this next week on the show. So I'm not going to try to save too much to it. But he doesn't play. You know what I mean? Like you can't max a player who's not going to play. It just doesn't. There's no logical explanation for that. So I'm not upset about KP's departure because number one, The Knicks didn't have a Luka Doncic on our team. When KP was on our team and playing, we weren't winning. Melo, Melo forced his way onto the team that was winning with a bunch of young talent, a bunch of cap space, and a bunch of picks. And we just said, F it. And all of them dudes somehow, somewhere, like, just, you know, scattered around the NBA postseason. And it is hard, Slim. It's tough watching Jamal Murray play basketball. It is it is very difficult watching him torch one of the best defensive teams in his league. But you know what? I'm okay. I'm okay. Hopefully, you guys are okay. And hopefully, you guys are ready for the second half of the show because two more quarters are lined up for you guys, starting with our third topic this week. Third quarter. Full disclosure. I am recording this third quarter before, before game four? Four? I believe before game four of the Clippers Mavericks series, which is scheduled to air, I want to say like 3. 30 this Sunday. So by the time you guys hear this, that game is already over. Forgive me if Paul George ends up looking like a combination of Wilt Chamberlain and Michael Jordan. He could, because I have not seen this game yet. The game has not been played, nothing. But he could, in game four of this series, end up looking, playing the greatest game anyone has ever played, ever, no matter the sport. He could be on some NBA, Paul George, in game four of this series, which has not been played yet, could look like a motherfucker from NBA Jam, literally jumping up at the three-point line, flames all of a sudden take over his shoes, and he dunks the ball, some dude out of nowhere, not even Mike Breen or anybody like that, just yells out, slam my jammer. He's on, whatever the case, man, like he can do all that shit. And then I would probably have to eat crow. I am saying that, saying all of this in this third quarter, knowing that this potential outcome could happen. Right? At this point, there are countless number of possibilities regarding, Game four of this series and Paul George's play, and even though that one of the possibilities could be that he scores 500 points in this game, just never misses a shot, whatever, like the best game ever, I'm still comfortable. Still comfortable to spend time this week to tell everybody, we done with play playoff p. First off, when did it become cool to give yourself a nickname? When did that happen? For my entire life, since I was a little boy to a grown-ass man, a father, I understood that that's something that you cannot give upon yourself. It's like, you know... You go on certain people's profile pages and they say, oh, I'm a philanthropist. I thought, eh, hey, you could really do great charitable work and I'm not knocking that. But isn't that something that someone should give you? Isn't that a title that someone should give you? <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Hey, wait, it, It'd be like someone call, calling themselves a genius. Now, someone has called you a genius before and you were just, re- like, if you want, whatever. You can't just run around, oh, yeah, I'm a genius. Hey, motherfucker, show me the evidence. No, allow me to give you that praise or compliment. Don't run around calling yourself a genius or a philanthropist. And damn sure, don't run around giving yourself nicknames. When did that shit become cool? Playoff P. And the crazy thing is, Paul George's career, he's very much a con- He went to back-to-back Eastern Conference Championships. There was a moment where that Pacer squad was going toe-to-toe with the Miami Heat, the Big Three Miami Heat. That shit seems ages ago now, but, like, it happened. And Paul George is a phenomenal basketball player. I don't want to diminish that man's career. I don't want to diminish that man's accolades and his accomplishments. But... What the fuck is happening here? <laughs> Have you looked? We just talked at halftime about the the, the at this point the the laughable, right? It's truly awe inspiring the way the Knicks fumble picks and young players. It's just right. It, if you're a Knicks fan, if you're someone who follows that team, you just become numb to it because you know all too well oh, this young player, he's really good. Don't get too attached because we're going to trade that motherfucker for trash. <laughs> like, I love Mitch Robinson, Mitch Robinson, and I'm, I'm scared to even buy a t-shirt because I know what's going to happen. I know what's going to happen. But that's for the Knicks. Look at what the Clippers gave up to get Paul George. Look at what they gave up to get Paul George playoff B and I know some of y'all I know You know what to get Paul George you had to get Kawhi Leonard and that's that's the cost of doing business All right, maybe It's not like Kawhi signed a long-term contract (laughs) I think he signed a three-year deal with a, a player option after a year or two That shit's halfway done if they don't win a championship this year it's going to be harder for them to win a championship next year. So I, uh, you know, I let you, I let you, you know, run, do that math in your head, do do the probabilities there, if you would like, because it don't seem like PG and Kawhi really, really rock with one another like that for real. Maybe they do. I mean, Kawhi's just a weird cat, man. But <laughs> I'm not that confident. And you just kind of watch. You know, I remember the first year that Paul, Paul George had the, the, the Gatorade commercial. I think that's when he he gave himself the playoff P moniker. And they were talking about how he's in game winning shots and he drank the Gatorade. Like, that's what I do. And then the petty fact checkers and, and the NBA and ESPN and all these guys. They're like, actually, Paul, you don't do that. You've never hit a game winning shot. And it's just crazy to me, man. I'm, I'm watching all of this and play out in real time and this is kind of a good life lesson for everybody nobody would nobody was checking for paul george like everybody knew paul george was really really good but he kind of flew under the radar everybody knew that he was a phenomenal talent one of the best 15 to 20 players in the league and at his peak he could look like a top 10 player i'm talking this is like the last years in indiana but then he started to feel himself, right? He started to act like he was among the, the LeBrons. He was, and I, I guess I really can't even fault him because to be an elite athlete, you get, you have to carry yourself a certain way. Like, I'm not saying you have to be a, a dickhead and I'm not saying Paul George is, but I'm not saying you gotta be arrogant and run around with an entourage or whatever, whatever, whatever stereotypes that people may have with athletes. And, and, and to be fair, you know, a lot of what certain athletes do, you don't have to be that, but there does need to be an air of confidence. Like, you know what? I'm one of the best. I want to be treated as such. I, I have no problem with anybody understanding your worth, but we need to start looking at Paul George, you know, strip, whatever you feel about him. If you crack the jokes to play off P and y'all was, y'all call that man a pandemic P, which is hilarious, right? But yo, Move, remove that. Remove all of the people who love him, because he's again, he's a talent. Make no mistake. Let's just factually look at the the recent years of Paul George. When the Indiana Pacers traded Paul George initially, we all killed them. What? You trade Paul George for Victor Oladipo with DeMontis, the bonus, and Demontis Sabonis and a whatever? That's what you trade. You could have gotten Kyrie Irving. Ah. Everybody. That joint was what, three years ago? Three, four years ago now? <laughs> oh my goodness. Oklahoma City has Paul George. They're going to have Paul George and Russell Ah! Everybody went nuts. You kind of want to revisit that? The Pacers traded Paul George for two all-stars. One all-NBA player. Both of whom are under really great contracts, and we're going to find out what happens with Vic with Oladipo moving forward. And although the Pacers haven't, you know, haven't improved, they have given themselves all of the opportunities. You know, like they've they've been dealt a pretty bad hand. You know what I mean? They, they had injury. They've had injuries every year in the postseason. Sabonis so is hurt now. And while, you know, I don't necessarily know if they would have beaten Miami if Sabonis was healthy, they'd be doing, they'd be faring a whole lot better now with him than without. I think that's fair. So an initial trade that was killed by everyone, I don't even know how you couldn't say that the Pacers won that, considering how the Oklahoma City Thunder, they get Paul George, the following year they get him to resign and then, two two first round playoff blunders in a row they trade them and now everyone is looking at that Paul George trade and how we initially killed the Pacers initially now we look at the Thunder like man they got a massive haul for Paul George which they did they look at what the Lakers traded to get Anthony Davis and then look at what the Clippers traded To get Paul George and again, I understand if you're looking at it, it's like, yo, the Clippers had to get Paul George to get Kawhi cool. That works if Kawhi and playoff P can provide, can produce, I'm with you, but Paul George ain't what Anthony Davis is in no way, shape or form. And you can make the argument. I mean, we know about the picks, right? The Lakers sent God knows how many picks to the Pelicans. The Clippers sent God knows how many picks to the Thunder. Look at the players: Brandon Ingram, Lonzo Ball, Josh Hart. I think that's. I think there's maybe one other player that the Lakers sent, but like you know, those were the the main players. Look at the players the Clippers sent to the Thunder: Shea and Gallinari. I'm sorry. The actual players. And I know everybody loves Brandon Ingram. Brandon Ingram has a lot of talent. Let's wait and see what Brandon Ingram actually flushes out to become. Because he could continue to improve. He had a great leap this year. I don't even want to say leap. He played better this year. Everybody looks at his points per game totals. I would then remind everybody he shot more. So, of course, he's going to score more points. But, you know, I don't want to get into the the back and forth about PPG. Let's wait and see what Brandon Ingram becomes. Because I know what Danilo Gallinari is, and I know what Shea Gilgir's Alexandria is, even though he's super young. We see it now. We know what time it is with him. Like, Paul George and Anthony Davis are not similar level players. So there's no reason why you should trade for him. And Paul George, has he he, he exists In this world, or he used to exist, where his name recognition and his reputation, right, far exceeded, in a positive positive manner, his actual on-court production consistently. Again, there are moments when Paul George absolutely looks like a top 10 player. Moments. But the difference between top 10 players and other guys is that the top 10 guys consistently bring it yeah they're gonna be bad games but I know that I can count on this I can pencil look if Luka is healthy bong 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 I know what I'm getting from him and he is year two when Anthony Davis is right bong 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 I know what I can get Giannis boom Kawhi boom LeBron go down the line you can pencil in yes everyone has bad games I'm not saying these guys do not come short Sometimes, but those are sometimes. Look at what Paul George has done in the postseason, not just this year, not just last year. Look at what he did the year before that. He out here in the bubble talking stuff, acting a fool about Dame. Dame made it a mission to bust his ass and let everybody in the world know, I bust your ass last year, and if I get the chance, I'm going to bust your ass again. Paul George now, copy please. Hey, man, it's all good. Now, that's another thing, Paul. You can't be playoff P, play like shit, and then tweet something on it, or tweet or post something on IG talking about, oh, man, y'all not. Nah, bruh. Put up a shut up. Playoff P. Getting upset because you playing like trash and everybody making jokes. You want to know what to stop that'll stop the jokes play like you were nice Zubik can play like shit and nobody will kill him except for like diehard Clipper fans You want to know why? Because he doesn't run around like with this air of man. I'm like dog. You can't call yourself something without doing shit in the playoffs for like the last eight seven years And they get mad when people are holding you to a standard that nobody was thinking, thinking of you like that. You turn the spotlight on yourself and now complaining because it's hot. Man, you don't sit your motherfucking ass down. And again, I like Paul George's game. Paul George would be the best player the Knicks have had in God knows how long. Paul George is. Absolutely one of the best 20 to 25 players in this league. There's nothing wrong with that. But we need to start having an honest conversation because I don't know what has happened to Paul George since those, we killed Roy Hibbert. Whatever has happened. Look at the players on that Indiana Pacers team. And they was running around. They had their shirts off on the cover of ESPN, the Magazine and all this other dumb shit. It was Paul George, Roy Hibbert, Lance Stevenson, George Hill, David West. David West, he got old, okay? Got no problem with David West. George Hill, you know, <laughs> he's a solid player from Milwaukee. He somehow escaped. You know, we all make fun of J.R. Smith because he didn't realize that, you know, they needed, that they weren't winning. Remember that the game one in the finals versus the Warriors? he gets the rebound and he pulls the ball out because he thought that they were winning. We all forget the fact that George Hill just shit the bed on those free throws. So, you know, George Hill was looked upon as, you know, he's a fine player, but that's kind of what I'm saying. George Hill doesn't talk, so we don't kill George Hill. George Hill don't run around saying, man, I'm playoff G. You feel me? I'm go hard, G. Hell nah, man. Lance, we know what time it is, with Lance and Roy Hibbert, that motherfucker just vanished from the face of the earth. I want to see the 30 for 30 on that Indiana Pacers team because somebody got, something happened. <laughs> you feel me? Because all them badmits just can't, you can't go from being all-stars or potential all-star players, all-NBA players, to now all of a sudden, you the butt of everybody's joke because you go on two for 17 playoff peak. Get the fuck out of here, Joe. And again, by the time y'all hear this, <laughs> game four will have already been played. And, and Paul George may turn around and look like, again, Michael Motherfucker Jordan. Those are the that's those are the chances I'm willing to take. Because even if he plays well in game four, I have three years of playoff basketball that I would be able to pull from and be like, eh, you tell me which one was the exception. Shout out to Paul George. Matter of fact, I was told this at an early age. Never trust a man with two first names. You hear me? me? Fucking playoff people. Matter of fact, email me, y'all. Who started this? Who started giving yourself your own nickname? Swaggy P. You understand? like, oh, it, it just kind of came out of nowhere, man. Maybe it was Kobe, God bless the dead. You know what? It probably was, wasn't it? The black mama. Because I never heard anybody call him that. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, he was like, yeah, that's me. And then he ran with it, and it worked for him. Paul George ain't Kobe. Newsflash, guys. Y'all ain't Kobe. All right, guys. We are three quarters in The books, which means we are down to our final quarter this week. And we're stepping in the square circle for a little talk about the sweet science. It's our fourth topic this week. Fourth quarter. About a month ago, you know, I I received a bit of backlash because I was so, uh, animate. I was so passionate about my disdain for Roy Jones Jr., in an exhibition fight versus Mike Tyson. It bothered me not because, you know, two legends getting in the ring, that's what they want to do. I'm sure there are a bunch of former fighters who have gotten and sparred with one another that, you know, hasn't had any fanfare, fair right? Just two guys just want to get it in, scrap, whatever, get some work in. It happens all the time. But the media blitz behind Tyson Roy Jones Jr. As someone who genuinely loves the sport of boxing, man, it was so frustrating. It's so funny. At the time, I specifically, I think I made a, I was hypothetically speaking, I was like, yo, if Rampage ended up fighting Ken Shamrock, no one would care. It wouldn't be billed. It wouldn't be hyped. Sports Center wouldn't talk about it. And all these different media outlets wouldn't hype it and, 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 Especially considering how that fight was announced literally a day after Leo Santa Cruz and Javante Davis's fight was announced. So you have two of the better one of the better fights that we've seen Featuring one super up-and-coming. I mean, I don't even know if you want to call tank up-and-coming Everybody knows what it is when it comes to tank in the boxing world and then you have someone like Leo who has the resume, was a former top 10 pound-for-pound fighter. You know, this is a big-time fight, and all anyone was talking about on, like, a large scale was Mike Tyson and Roy Jones Jr. And I said, y'all, y'all wouldn't do this in any other sport, case in point, just a few days ago, right? Apparently, I don't know even I don't even know what the league is what the what the actual body is, the governing body or whatever. But apparently Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz, they're gonna get it on. And you wouldn't know because nobody treated it as this big huge deal. Because it's not. Two guys past their prime fighting in a freak show. And again, no disrespect. I have the utmost respect for anybody who gets in a ring, gets in a cage and fights, particularly for a living. But if you do it just because, dog, tip of the cap. That Johnny's real. It's real. I don't do it anymore. But it's it's funny how it differs in with, within the two sports, despite the fact that both sports are so similar. No one cared about... Liddell Ortiz. Everyone made a big fuss over Tyson Roy. And I swear to you guys, I genuinely feel it's because most people have no clue about boxing, despite the fact that boxing, time and time again, produces. There is a real following for boxing. Just that the people who talk about sports on a large scale have no fucking clue about the sport, and you see it over and over again. And for someone who loves boxing, man, it's incredibly frustrating. But let me get to the point. I was, while I don't mind that Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson are gonna fight each other in an exhibition, I was greatly upset because of the attention that A, it generated, and B, that it took away from Deserving fighters, deserving fights, and it continues this kind of larger narrative of the sport of boxing that is just a freak show. It's just a bunch of guys who hang on too long. And you know what? You can make that. You can make that argument about any professional sport. But the thing that really bothered me, right, that the, the undercurrent of frustration that generated from. Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson and them making that announcement was that I knew this was just the beginning. I knew that more guys were going to do this. And forget health, right? Actually, don't forget health. Matter of fact, let's talk about health. This is a problem. <laughs> you know, professional sports is a young man's game. Fighting? Combat sports? Come on, bro. Like, it speaks to a bloodlust in our society that so many people are so... And I'm a boxing fan, so I can't... I'm not on any type of, you know, soapbox condemning, you know, our, our lust for violence. Because, yeah, I'm raising my hand. I wouldn't like boxing if I didn't like violence. Now, I I don't think it's this barbaric sport that so many people make it out to be. I do think that there is a beauty in the actual, again, the sweet science of the sport. But I'm not gonna pretend, I'm not jumping out here and going to lie, pretend to you guys that act like violence isn't the number one biggest determining factor in, in the biggest appeal of the sport. Of course it is. But when you're seeing guys 50 years old getting in there, guys who you already know are punch drunk, guys who have no, you know, I don't even know if this is going to be a real fight because look how much bigger Tyson is than Roy. You know, like, come on, what we doing? But I was frustrated because I knew that this was going to lead to more. And damn it, just a few weeks later, Oscar De La Hoya, mind you, Oscar De La Hoya is a, I can't even, I can't even find the word to properly describe how successful Oscar De La Hoya is as a promoter. And now he's talking about, he's not even talking, apparently it's official. He's coming back into the ring and he's talking like, I want to fight the best. And I'm just thinking to myself, bro. Where does this end? Because no matter which direction we go, no matter which way on the road that we go, it ends horribly. Like, why is Oscar De La Hoya wanting to fight? You promote Canelo. (laughs) You are the owner, co-owner of Golden Boy Productions. What could you possibly... Your finances cannot be that bad. It cannot be that bad for you to need money to, to get in the ring and to then get in. Who are you fighting, bro? And I'm just thinking, I'm just like, man, there was a phenomenal, Like we had great, really, really fun fights this past weekend. Okay. Obviously we all saw the Dillian white, uh, can fight with a phenomenal, probably knockout of the year. Uh, There's a prospect who was on Fox on PBC this past Saturday. Spencer, I want to say it was James Joy Spencer from Michigan. Looked really, really good, really sharp. Sean Porter had a really, really strong outing also on Saturday night. And that doesn't even include the top-ranked card. We have really good, really exciting, really talented young fighters who, for whatever reason, well, I've already given you my thoughts and my reasoning behind it, because so many people on a large national scale have no idea what they're talking about when it comes to boxing. They fly under the radar. And we keep on recycling the Oscar De La Hoya's and the Mike Tyson's and the Roy Jones Jr. Who is De La Hoya going to fight? I understand whomever fights him is going to be a huge payday. I'm sure there's so many people licking their chops for the opportunity to get in the ring with De La Hoya. I'd probably bet a lot of money that Canelo wants to knock Oscar De La Hoya's head off. And that'd be the easiest money he's had since Amir Khan. (laughs) You know? I just don't understand why De La Hoya will not want to do it. And I don't get why so many people pay so much attention to these type of incidences in boxing. We don't ever pay the big, the big three has been a successful league for several seasons now. They don't get the coverage that Tyson Roy Jones is getting or De La Hoya returning is getting. The XFL would kill for this type of coverage. Tito Ortiz and fucking Chuck Liddell, nobody paid it any mind. But for whatever reason, we put all the gas behind this type of clown shit, bro. And I just don't understand why. It's lazy. It's lazy. And it does a disservice to boxing fans and the sport of boxing. And I'm not saying it's anyone's obligation to care about the sport. But I just feel, it'd be cool if everybody like the sports centers in the in the you know the the major sites on Instagram or Twitter, they did their thing and they they continue to show shine. And I get it, whatever if they wanted to do that, but just give an outlet for the real fans, for us to pay attention to, because there's nothing. In fact, a, if it's not an independent pod or independent site, then you have to go to some. European website or a European podcast because they their content is legit. And like why can't we get that stateside on a large scale? Not some independent podcast. And shout out to the independents out there. Urban Sports Scene, Bite Down Boxing 2 that come to mind off the top. Shout out to those boys, those guys doing phenomenal work. But man, it's frustrating. Bro, Oscar De La Hoya. Come on, man, what we on? What are we on? And I get it, man. This podcast, like this week's podcast, I really didn't intend for it to be like this. But in the first quarter, again, I'm not taking shots at Dame. I didn't. I don't want it to come across that I'm taking shots. I don't want you guys to listen to this episode and think, damn, Armand's just licking off shots at everybody. I have the utmost respect for Dame. I have the utmost respect for... Well, I appreciate Jay-Z as a rapper. He's one of the best rappers of all time. Right. I have the most utmost respect for Paul George and shout out to Oscar De La Hoya. Again, all of these dudes are super talented and extremely successful. So it's not like I'm trying to clout chase, but I'm like insulting and trying to be disrespectful to these dudes. That's not the case. Don't hear this show and think that I'm just frustrated and I'm, you know what I'm saying? I don't want y'all to think that, man. But like, come on, Joe, We, we, this can't be it. This can't be it. I will not settle for this, whether it's my sports coverage, whether it's comparisons, whether it's players considering themselves top tier and giving themselves uh, nicknames, whatever the case, I won't settle for something that I know is substandard, bro. I'm not settling for less. Nah. Don't sell me no fucking Roy Jones Jr. and Mike Tyson. an exhibition don't hype that joint up because you have no idea about boxing if you want to if you want to dive in and play in the dirt in the in the circus entertainment go ahead man knock yourself out man but don't be mad at me for go ahead riding past you don't get mad at me because i'm not going to size playoff p you feel me don't piss on me telling me it's raining bro nah I demand more from my sports inter- my sports entertainment, my sports coverage, my sports uh, news, if you will. And for whatever reason, man, too many people who have the influence, they're comfortable. And they continue to shovel this BS our way, man. But nah, I'm not with it. And hopefully, hopefully, if you're listening to this podcast, you're not with it either i appreciate you guys rocking with me for about an hour and a half this week man hopefully you enjoyed the show hopefully you are enjoying the nba postseason the way i am i would love to hear from you man email the show at quarterly at gmail.com tweet at the show at quarterly show again we spell quarterly here q-u-a-r-t-e-r-l-e-e show again i want to thank each and every one of you all for rocking with me continuing to spread the word i appreciate everybody and i will see you guys right back here next tuesday on another episode of the quarterly report